0: we will be doing a concert afterwards, I think, or something like that. Thank you, Miss Meg, as always. Well, as you turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, we're preaching through verses 25 to 35 in our third installment of From the Throne to to the Trough, From the Throne to Trough, but we'll start reading in verse 22 this morning. And as you're turning there, uh, Pastor Nelson, this afternoon sometime, probably Uh, Well, I don't know when, but sometime on Facebook, Pastor Nelson is going to be putting together the Sunday School lesson. If you're on Facebook, uh, we'll get that out, the video out over email if you'd like to listen to it. Uh, You get to see him stare at a camera and tell you about the Word of God, and it's a lot of fun. And if you're watching us on Facebook Live this morning, we especially welcome you. We did change our service time this morning because of the weather. Uh, We're grateful to be here. And you know, this is always, I I feel for, uh, just as an aside before we get started, I feel for superintendents every time this happens because making a decision about whether to have church or not have church or to delay it or not delay it is not a fun thing. So if you all want to move to Hawaii with me, uh, we will take our collective resources, start a church, and build a thing. Diana's ready. Diana's ready. Let's do it. So, uh, but thank you for your flexibility. There are pastors who are not having church. There are some who are having normal. There are some like us who are modifying. Praise be to God. We're just here to glorify Christ. Amen. Uh, We are just grateful to be together. All right. Well, I do have an opening illustration uh, apropos to uh, uh, this group. Well, last week, many of you know this, but last week, (laughs) before the start of the Chiefs game, you probably heard this on the news. Uh, There was a much-anticipated matchup with those hated New New England Patriots last week. And, of course, the Chiefs' equipment was was somehow mistakenly sent to New Jersey instead of New England. Do you remember hearing about this? Including the helmets, the pads, and all the footballs that they warm up with. Everything that goes with the football team ended up in the wrong space. And Matt Derrick, who's a reporter for Chiefs Digest, tweeted that the gear arrived safely, but he, ret- he retweeted or reposted what the state police confirmed. And this is what they said, quote, As much as we wouldn't mind a forfeit for the Patriots, we did our due police diligence in getting the delayed Chiefs equipment on time to the game. The game can go on as scheduled, but we really don't like the Chiefs, end quote. <laughs> and that's okay. We beat you anyway. So that's old history. But, you know, Israel must have felt this way, you know, at some point. The nation of Israel had to have felt this way because they felt like they got the short end of the stick all the time. You ever think about that? God, you're doing a lot of great things in the world, but you've been silent since we had this guy named Malachi 400 years before Jesus' time. Where is the Messiah? They almost felt like God was doing this and this and this and, and like the chief's equipment going every which way, but except their direction. And so that God would send a Messiah somewhere else. God, where is the promised Messiah? Why are we not getting it in the time we want it to? But just like those great state police of the state of Massachusetts, God reminded the nation of Israel, it wasn't their time. It was his time that mattered when the sending of the Messiah would come. And Isaiah 25 verse 9 reminds us of this. It says, and it's up on the screen, Isaiah says, it will be on that day that we say, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord, and we've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice. But what must have that felt like? What must it have felt like to wait so long and to wait so anticipatory for the Messiah to come? And we see two people over the next two weeks. This week, Simeon, the, the, the man Simeon. Next week, Anna, or the prophetess Anna But why were they waiting? How did they know this would be the time? And and, and what would that look like? What do we learn from these people as they waited on the Messiah? And what does that mean for us? Well, we're going to talk about that today. The big idea, as you'll see it on the screen, is just simply this. Like Simeon, may we live thankfully and expectantly, asking God to continue to show us the difference between the things that matter and the things that don't. And we are going to look and see very clearly five truths about a godly person, especially Simeon this time. It's very straightforward. We're going to look at Simeon's character. We're going to see Simeon's confidence. We're going to see the celebration, a little party he has right there in the temple as he realizes what's happening in front of him. Then we're going to sing his solo, his, his, his time of chorus that he sings to the Lord. And we're finally going to see the great confession that would be the direction of the life of the Messiah. It's not all... Baby Jesus, Petals and Roses, Hallmark Channel, Lifetime Movie kind of Christmas thing going on. It gets really serious really fast with what Simeon has to say. So with these things in mind, we want to see how this man, this man who is a godly man, a sinner though like us, anticipated the Messiah, but how he lived his life in a way as he waited on his Messiah and how we need to do that as well. I love Joy to the World, don't you? Did you know that's not really a Christmas song? Did we burst some bubbles today? Shh. I know. Sorry, Craig. No, Craig knows this. That song was written, Joy to the World, in, in, in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, as we think about the second coming, may we take a page from those who waited on the first coming to know what we should be looking for, how we should live, and how we might glorify God this side of heaven. If you're able to join us in standing this morning, why don't you join us as we read, uh, starting verse 22, we'll read down to verse 35, the story of Jesus' first eight days, and then the story of Simeon, this man who waited for the Messiah to come, and what that looked like in those, that, that time. Verse 22, and when the time had come for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that's Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. You're going to see some parentheses here. This is Luke's historical note. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male, quote, should, who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, end quote. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Note the Holy Spirit and how many times we use that phrase in the next few verses. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him, the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took Jesus, Simeon did, in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the sight of all the people, presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And verse 33, and his father Joseph, his mother Mary, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. And here's the reality check, guys. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts shall or may be revealed. This is Jesus, even from his birth, was a very dividing person because he is the one true God, and may we worship him accordingly. Let's pray this morning, may we like Simeon live thankfully and expectantly. Let's pray together, Father. As we come before you, looking at a passage, Lord, about a man who lived so long ago, Father, we don't come here to venerate or to, uh, to to put on a pedestal. Simeon, he was a sinner as we are, Father, but at the same time, we also know that you used him in a very special way. In Father sending your Son in the special way that you did. So, Father, as we come before you, may we take some things from his life that he did to glorify you so that as we look forward to your second coming, whenever that time is, that we too may seek and and, and seek to glorify you as he did. Father, thank you so much. May the gospel be clear. May I get out of the way. May you speak through your spirit to our hearts, both those here and those who may be watching later or, or currently. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning. Well, I just want to remind you, as, you uh, uh, as we set the context here. Last week we looked at the, the, the birth of Jesus, how he was born in the manger. We looked at the angels. We looked at all that stuff. And now we get to the stage where they're, they're starting to live life a bit more. They're starting to fulfill the life that God had called for them according to the law. So first, as we see uh, the trait of a godly person, we see Simeon's character, number one, Simeon's character, and it says in verse 25, there's a man in Jerusalem. Now, just stop right there. We do not know anything about this man. We really have nothing. He kind of pops on the scene like Elijah does in 1 Kings 17. In, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah just comes out of nowhere and becomes a prophet. So, so, Simeon, we really don't know much about him. It doesn't tell us about his background. It doesn't really tell us about his age. It doesn't really tell us about his lineage. We'll get to his character, but there's really not much else there. But it is a reminder to us, guys, that God all, and this is not on the screen, but God always has a remnant of his people. God always has his people somewhere ready to rock and roll for his glory. Can I say it that way? God always has people ready in order to work and do his will this morning. Tori, do I need to switch over to the other microphone at this stage? Okay, just turn me down a bit. But this morning I want you to know that in 1st Kings 19:18 God told Elijah and the servant at the time that he had a remnant of people, that he had a remnant of people. In Romans 11 it says that God has not rejected his people, but that God has saved for them a remnant. And friends, in these days, as, as in Simeon's days, we need to be reminded as we live as Christians in this culture that God always has other Christians around us, even if we don't know who they are. And that should be a comfort for us, because that reminds us that God has not just left us out to dry. We have His Holy Spirit, but we also have other believers as well. We also have this man named Simeon. Simeon was a very common name at that time. It was a reflection that he was a man of prayer. His name literally means, and we stole this for our son, that God has heard. That's what the name means, God has heard. And so it's a reflection that he was a man of prayer. He was a man who was an intercessor. To put it in modern terms, he was a prayer warrior. He had his prayer room going, if you know what I mean. He did those things. But it says in verse 25 that he was a righteous man. Now, what does that mean? We know from Romans 3, don't we, that there are none what? There are none righteous, no, not one, right? Right? That's what Romans 3 tells us. But in verse 25, it reminds us that he was a righteous man. Well, what does this mean? We know there's none righteous. There's none who do good. There's none who seek after God. So what does this mean? Well, the word righteous is also used to communicate what Noah did. Noah was a righteous man in a wicked generation. Job was considered to be a righteous man. Joseph, we're told. Mary's husband was a righteous man. Joseph of Arimathea, who we looked at a few months ago, who buried Jesus, was considered to be a righteous man. The centurion at the cross, when he said that this truly was the Son of God, said, surely this was also a righteous man, referring to Jesus. And we know from 1 John that only those who are righteous will get into heaven. So what in the world does it mean that he was a righteous man? not righteous in himself, but righteous in the fact that God had given him part of himself, so to speak. God had exchanged his wickedness for goodness by faith. But have you ever wondered how the Old Testament guys got saved? Do you ever think about that? I mean, how did they get saved? How How did David get saved? How did Job, Noah, you run the list, how did they get saved? The same way you get saved if you're saved today. It's by faith alone and God alone. They didn't see it all. They didn't know it all. They couldn't anticipate everything. They were looking forward to types and shadows, 1 Peter and Hebrews tell us. But they were saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross. And they looked forward by faith as we look back by faith to the same Savior, Jesus Christ. By faith, they were saved. But it says also he was devout. What does this mean? Devout means it's someone who's super dedicated even to the smallest point of the law, did you ever have one of those people in school? You know, the teacher says, the teacher says, you know, we're just going to skip this part of the assignment. And then there's always that one little kid who raises their hand and says, but Mrs. Smith, we can't skip this part. I think our treasurers are this way too because they're super dedicated, super people. They're very devout people. But this is what it's saying about Simeon. We don't know a lot about his biography, but we know he trusted by faith in God alone to be saved, but he also was a righteous, devout person. He was there doing everything God required of him in the law. He was the guy in modern terms who was there for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the the deacon's meeting and every other meeting they had. He was the guy that showed up. And that is Simeon was as faithful to God and man as they come of what God asked him to do. Friends, we don't want to be legalists, but I think we know something about his character. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel just as we are waiting for the second coming so Simeon was waiting for Christ to come can you imagine what that would have been like just to wait and wait and wait and wait but i want you to see what it says at the end of verse 25 do you see that there your your version might say the holy ghost you got king james but the holy spirit was upon him the holy spirit was upon him. How do we know that he was doing the right thing? He was doing the right thing because God says he put his seal and stamp of approval on him. The sign that Simeon was saved and the sign he was waiting for Christ is that the Holy Spirit was with him. And this is why, and I'll put this up on the screen, Amy will put this up, what a great reminder to us today that God is more concerned with your character than your career, with who you are than what you do and how you live than where you live. God is more concerned about living righteously and devoutly before him than anything else. I mean, Simeon was the guy that that if he worked in the, in the secular world and there were jokes being said in the break room that shouldn't be said, he was the guy that exited out because he didn't want to be part of that mess. He was the guy that probably drove everybody nuts because he was driving 55 in the 55 fast lane trying to pass the car going 54. He was the guy that always had his sidewalk cleared when it snowed when the city said clear it because no one else would clear it because they didn't want to get out and shovel it. He was that guy. But mostly he was the guy that said, no matter what comes, I'm waiting for this Messiah. And nothing's going to stop me. Guys, the world will ridicule us for waiting on Jesus Christ, won't they? I mean, if you tell someone honestly that you believe Jesus is coming back, they're going to look at you and say, how nutty are you? Because of this fact. But his character, being righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the Messiah, was such that he was ready to go. And God was concerned about his character more than who he was or what he did. It was what mattered before God himself. Let's go to verse 26. Not only Simeon's uh, character, but I want you to also see his confidence. His confidence, a godly confidence. Notice verse 26, and it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, how old was this guy? Was he like 500 years old? Was he like that guy in Indiana Jones who uh, once he crossed over the bridge and he was like this old Templar knight, that was a 1,000? No, he was a regular guy. He wasn't super old. But at some time, it says that God revealed himself to him. He had confidence. Simeon had confidence this wasn't just a by dream it was going to happen. When it says it revealed to him, this verb is in the past with no date and time. So God basically, in effect, told Simeon, look, this is going to happen before you die. You don't know when, but I'm telling you, Simeon, it's going to happen. Do you believe me or do you not? Friends, God has told us the same thing about Jesus Christ. He has said he is coming again. He doesn't tell us the day or the hour. He doesn't want us to know the day or the hour. He says, be ready. And so, Simeon, be ready. And this is the same word that the Magi received when they got the word about the star. This is the same word that that, that was revealed to Joseph to get out of Dodge and get to Egypt so they wouldn't be killed. This is the same word that's used in Acts 10 for Cornelius when it was revealed to him that the gospel was not just for Jews, but was for Gentiles as well, fulfilling what Simeon would say later in this verses. So, does God still reveal things today? I mean, does God still do this? Yes, he does. And you know how this works. I've said this before. Can I say it again? If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. Amen? Let me say it again. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. Friend, does the Holy Spirit still speak? You betcha you he does. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's fully God, and he doesn't contradict his word. The Holy Spirit, Sinclair Ferguson once said, has no bad morning breath. Let that sink in for just a second. When the Spirit speaks, he speaks. When he says it, he means it. When he does it, it happens. So when he says, somehow, we don't know if this was in a dream. We don't know if this was, he was walking down the road. We don't know if he was eating his morning oatmeal. We have no idea. All we know is that the verse says his confidence comes from the fact the Spirit was with him, verse 25, and in verse 26, this is going to happen. So now if he's an old man, can you imagine this? He's creaking up to the the temple every day. We have no idea. We have no idea of his age. But whatever it was, whatever he faced, whatever illness, whatever hardship, whatever trial, whatever temptation he was facing, his confidence was not in the stuff that could... could could, could take that pain, could take that situation away. His confidence was in the fact God told him it was going to happen. And church, I'm going to say it again, Jesus is coming back, and that is our confidence. You have confidence to witness for Jesus Christ because he said, he's going to, as John, our brother said, every tribe, every nation is coming to him. You have confidence that you can walk into a workplace and be the only Christian and, and live amongst them in a holy manner because God is with you and you don't have to work in your own strength. You can have confidence knowing these things. And so by the Holy Spirit, and you should, as Amy will put this up, you should live with confidence, not because you're righteous, wise, and able, but because Jesus is all the things and is with you always. It's, it's that simple. He had no confidence in himself but he had confidence in God's ability to work through his situation. Do you see that difference? He was righteous, he was devout of character, and he had confidence in God's ability to work through all things. But do you ever think about this? He had confidence that when he died, he would be in heaven someday with God. Do you know how many Christians on a deathbed, and I haven't done a, a ton of deathbed ex- ministry it's, it's sometimes people pass before you're able to get there or whatnot and pastors understand that dynamic but do you know how hard it is sometimes even for the most seasoned Christian to know that when they walk out of here when they die and leave this earth that they have confidence that they know Jesus Christ because in that moment there's a there's a moment of weakness but I think what the Holy Spirit reminds us about today is that when your time comes whatever that is whether it's in old age whether it's by accidental death, whatever, that God is going to give you a Holy Spirit-inspired confidence to give you strength to face that moment. Because you know why? He who has the Son has life. And if you have the life of the Savior, you're good. You don't have to have a pastor say a special prayer over you before you die called last rites. Friends, the rites to the keys of the kingdom were done once for all at the cross. Were they not? When he said it's done, it's done. And when you die, you go to heaven. What a joy that will be. Amen? And what a joy Simeon had that confidence in. Now let's go to the third thing we see about him is not only his character, or his confidence, but his celebration. A godly person has a celebration. And, and, and this is a fun, fun truth because you can see, you know, it's business as usual for the priest, their, their blessing. You know, Mary's bringing her sacrifice, and it was the poor sacrifice uh, for, for the womb and all these things. But look at verse 27. It says that, and, and Simeon came in the Spirit. Here he is again, third time in the Spirit. The Spirit's been with him. The Spirit has been in him, and now the Spirit is, uh, uh, he's, he's walking with the Spirit, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in the arms. I want you just to think about that scene for a second. It doesn't say he went up to Mary and said, hey, may I borrow your baby for a minute? He didn't go up to Joseph and say, hey, I'd like to have the first nativity scene right now. Could I borrow your son for just a moment while we make this happen? Did you see what he said? He took him up. And the Greek is very clear here. This was just an unexpected, unsurprising thing. Now, mom's in the room. If someone just took your baby all of a sudden, you'd probably be crying uh, Amber Alert before he even got out of the room. And rightfully so. This man is so excited, he walks up to this couple who he doesn't even know, but he walks in the spirit and he lifts up this baby. Now, I know we have some babies in this room. We have a couple young mamas in this room. We have one to be in this room. If we start taking your baby, you're going to look at us kind of funny. I want to re-emphasize the reality of this fact. Don't don't let cinema or Hollywood take this away. Friends, he was so excited, he took the baby up in his arms. And as he did, he had a celebration. What was he celebrating? Well, he was celebrating the fact that, first off, this couple was following what God had told them to do that after 33 days, uh, excuse me, after eight days, Mary had to come and bring a sacrifice. We read that in Luke 2, 21, 22. But she brought this and, and took him into his arms. God had made known to him that in this moment, this was the Savior. This was the Messiah. This was the only one who could bring the confidence and character that he had waited for. And he just, he just blesses him. He just blesses that baby. He is so excited. Now I don't. I've done a lot of pastoral visits on baby things, and it's exciting times. Even you know, lots of things can happen in the room when the baby's born. You know, diapers get changed, and things come out of the mouth, and but it's exciting, right? There's new life. Everybody gets excited over a baby, usually, even if you're sleep deprived. <laughs> Bethany, that's coming, by the way, Andy. It's coming you got, you got a couple behind you who can tell you all about it. McMurtries can, can, can give you that, that thing. But he got excited because the Savior was here. He got excited because the Word of God was being fulfilled right in front of his thing. Now, we get excited when God answers a prayer. You know, uh, one of our sisters here, we've been praying for one of her friends that is now cancer-free. We've been praying for her on Tuesdays and other days. And, 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 and we just say, wow, praise God. How much more amplified was he? Because the Savior was right there. Friends, let me tell you, we get to celebrate the same way, just like you're doing right here every single week. Amy, you can throw it up on the screen. When you gather in worship each week, we are worshiping a, victory that, uh, a Savior of a victory of the war that's already been won. We are worshiping an enemy's head who's already been crushed. We are worshiping a future that is secure in our returning and conquering king. We get to celebrate like Simeon did with all more detail, and we get to see it and live it and be a part of it because that's what God has given us. That's why coming to worship is important. Can you worship God at home on a snowy day like this? Yes, you can. Sure. But as we're able, we gather to worship the Lord because there should be a celebration in our hearts that God sent forth his son to us and that we received it as such. Can you imagine the smile that came across his face? You all remember Gilbert, if you were here for Gilbert. Gilbert would walk into a room, he used to serve here, and he would smile, Even he would like give a little grin, but his grin was like out to my ears. And if you really got to know Gilbert, his smile is just, woo, I mean, that, that, that Pacific Islander smile thing, I don't know what they got, we don't, but he had it. Think about Simeon, and think about Gilbert, and that smile, and that celebration. He was so happy. Because the Savior was here. What a joy we have to celebrate that every week. Number four, we see his character, we see his confidence, we see his celebration. This will be meteor, but we see his course. We see his course. Not only does he bless them, but he starts busting out in the psalm, or at least in a prayer of a psalm, P-S-A-L-M of some types. Look at verse 29. He says, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace. Now, Lord, now now notice this. This is not a generic Lord. God is the focus of his worship. As we gather, the focus of our worship is always God and not ourselves. Amen? And it should always be. We sing to the glory of God. We give to the glory of God. We study to the glory of God. And even we do stimulate others to love and good deeds. Ephesians 5 says, bring a spiritual song so others may be encouraged. But as we open our mouths, we're opening our hearts to God. But notice what he says. Now, Lord, you, it's God alone who he's praising here. Letting your servant depart in peace. God has fulfilled his word to his His servant, Simeon. Friend, I want you to notice this as well again. This is the second time that he talks about death. Simeon is ready to die. Christian, are you ready to die well? Are you ready to die? I mean... Not just die like giving yourself to other people or causes or taking up your cross. Yes, that too. But are you ready to die? Are you ready? Simeon says, Lord, you have let your servant depart in peace according to your word. He's ready to die. He's seen his Savior. He's ready to go to heaven. You know, we've all been around people at the end of their life, especially at the older end of their life, where they just say, what do they say? They say, I'm ready to go. Let me out of here. I don't want to be in this body anymore. I want to be with him. But Paul said, for me to live is what? Christ, but to die is? Paul was like jello on a tree, man. They hated him because if you kill me, I'm going to be with Christ. If you torture me, I get closer to Christ. You just can't pin me down because it's all about Christ. He bled Christ. And, friends, so should we. He says in verse 30, he goes on, he tells you the reason he's happy here. He tells you the reason why he's singing. He says for, notice that verse 4 and verse 30, F-O-R, for my eyes have seen your salvation. His eyes of faith have now seen as God saw when he told him this would happen. And it's the same thing that we need to be reminded of. Matthew 16, do you remember that story? Peter asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, uh, or Jesus asked Peter rather, he says, who do people say that I am? Well, Elijah, you know, John the Baptist. But he asked Peter. He said, no, 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 no. But who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to him? He said, my Father in heaven has what? Revealed this to you. Because flesh and blood could never do that. Friends, when he comes to sing, he says he's singing because his eyes have seen salvation. Christian, never forget, you did not come to Jesus because you were smarter, wiser, stronger, faster, better video game player, better golfer. He had bigger muscles. He had a better mustache than the next guy or girl. That would be weird with the mustache thing, but we'll let that set. (laughs) But I want you to think about that. He's singing because he knows that it was God himself who revealed to him the salvation he has. And Christian, never forget that we love because he first loved us. We hated God. We hate God outside of Jesus Christ. But Simeon sings because he knows God softened his heart to see this very thing. Look at verse 31. He goes on. He goes on to say in verse 31, he says that you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples the salvation that he has is not just a salvation that is for a small Isolated country in the Middle East that has gone back and forth over the political years, he says that God came down that all might be saved. God came down. You prepared it, God. It's yours. God came to man. Religion is man coming to God, gospel is God coming to man. And that is a huge difference. God has come all the way to man, not halfway. Uh, there are stories, you know, those prayers people pray in the movies. God, I'll meet you halfway. If you just do this, I'll follow you the rest of my life. Look, God says in the gospel, you either take me 100% or I want nothing to do with you. Because there is only one God. All peoples. This is for all peoples. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Wide is the broad gate to destruction, but narrow is the way of the righteous. Is that not True. And he says in verse 32, he says that this will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He says that a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And this should not be anything new for Israel. Isaiah has been quoting this numerous times. He quotes it in Isaiah 49, 51, 52, 60, verse 3, etc., 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 etc. But the light is speaking of Jesus. Jesus would be for all nations. I am so grateful that our church does not believe, as some believe, that Jesus is only for a certain ethograph, well, I don't even know, a certain ethnicity, that Jesus only died for a certain people. Jesus died for all who place their trust in him. Do you believe that? Now, do we know who they are? No, we don't. Has God chosen some? Yes, I think a good study of Ephesians and Romans 9 will say that. You hash that out. But he tells us that it's for all people. And he goes on to verse 33, and it says, And his father and mother marveled at what they heard. They could not believe this was actually happening to them. They were stunned, bewildered, shocked. And yet an angel had already told them that he would save his people from their sins. Did he not? But now salvation is for all. And I just want to put this up, as Amy does, if you will, please, Amy. Your future is to be part of an eternal chorus of endless praise. And may we, by God's grace, be enabled to live that out right now as we go forward. Can you imagine what it will be like in heaven someday as we worship around the throne? It's going to be awesome, guys. We're not going to get bored in heaven. We're not going to run out of things to do because Jesus is, is infinite and he's endless. And our praise is going to be right there beside him. And when he shares a little bit about himself deeper than we knew here on earth, it's going to strike us. Crazy, mad praise because we have nothing else to do except to say, thank you, Lord, that you saved us. What a joy it will be. Last thing, we'll end with this. Not only do we see Simeon's character, his confidence, celebration, his chorus, but I want you to see his confession, the reality check, verse 34. It says, and Simeon blessed, it says, and Simeon blessed, that's the second time. He blessed them. He blessed the child Jesus first, verse twenty eight, verse twenty nine. But then he said to Mary his mother, Notice his gaze changes. He doesn't talk to Joseph. He doesn't talk to Jesus. He looks at Mary square in the eyes and says, Verse thirty four Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your eye through your own soul, so that thoughts from Hearts may be revealed. Friends, three quick things about Christ here. And Amy, you can put the first one up. He says that he will be a stone. He'll he'll be for the rise and fall of many. It implies that it's a stumbling stone, that, that someone, when they look at Jesus, is going to stumble. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If, if, this time of year especially, uh, it, it, and Judy knows this from some of the groups we're in, that the, the, the marketing just escalates with churches around the nation this time of year. The thought is, is if you can have the perfect Christmas celebration, people will see Jesus, and they will want to love Jesus, and they will want to worship Jesus better than before. We want to do all things with excellence, right? We want to do all things to the best of our ability for the glory of God, but marketing is not going to get us there. We should promote our church some. We should have Facebook ads out there saying, this is what God's doing here. We should have Google ads, all that stuff. That's fine but you're never going to make Jesus so easy taken down. There's no pill to swallow that will make Jesus any easier to go down than he says about himself. He's a stone of stumbling. Well, But if we just don't tell them that they're sinners and we just say they've made mistakes and maybe maybe they won't be so offended when we share the cross with them. Never going to happen. Church, we well know that everyone who trips over this child Jesus and does not stand by faith on the solid rock that he is and was and will become will be condemned. But those who do will be saved. Simeon was an evangelist. He said, look, this man, this child is going to cause people to stumble. The second thing he tells them is that there will be a sign. There will be a sign. He's a sign to be opposed. But everybody loves a baby, right? Come on. Why does our culture not celebrate Easter as much as it celebrates Christmas? Because there's not a baby involved. and partly. But really, you think about it. The sign that was to come, this baby will grow up, and he'll be the most hated and opposed figure in all of human history. We look to his death on the cross as violent as it was at the Roman Empire, and we see that people hate him. You drop the name of Jesus, people will look at you funny. You drop the name of Jesus in a Muslim country, it could be your life. You drop the name of Jesus to your boss, it could be your job. We don't need to be afraid of such things. We trust God in all circumstances, but we need to remember it is an offensive name. It is the name above all names. You know, this year, and if you're not a sports fan, we're almost done with football, so just hang in there another month and a half. After Super Bowl, you get a a two-week break, but it's all good. But you know what? I am so grateful this year that Alabama did not make the college football playoffs. Because <laughs> you all are laughing because you know it's true. Every year, somehow, it doesn't matter. Somehow, Alabama gets the right call. Somehow, they've lost like five games, and they get in the, they hop and skip over people who should be there. This year, Alabama got what they finally deserved. They got out of the college football playoff. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs> and it is what it is. Yes. And as trite as that illustration is, as trite as that is, as much as people hate Alabama, you've got to be from Alabama to love Alabama, football wise, how much more do people look at Jesus and say, Ooh, you. Ooh, I hate you. You're perfect. You're calling me to love my enemy? You're calling me to lay myself down? You're calling me to give up all things to follow you? How dare you say such things? Friends, this Jesus was a sign to be opposed because everywhere he went, he divided households. He divided households. Last thing is this. Number three, there's a sword involved. Simeon tells Mary that this sword will pierce even your own soul. What is he talking about? Is Mary going to die at the hands of the Roman Empire? To be honest, we really don't know how Mary died. We have some tradition. We have no idea. I think from what it's talking about, what Simeon is referring to, is that she too will suffer for Christ. Just because she celebrated, just because she was chosen to bring Jesus in the world does not mean that she will not suffer pain. I mean, as you know at that cross, as she looked up at her firstborn son, she saw and wept with all the disciples with Jesus on the cross. And it says that, the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. This child will be the judge of the ages. Everyone will stand accountable to him. Yet this mama who treasured all these things, who pondered all these things, who, who wondered at all these things too, will suffer for the name of Jesus Christ because of her association with Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm grateful this morning that Jesus came down. I'm even greater to bear his name because as we suffer for his name, It's just a reminder this world is not our home, but he is coming again. May we pray with Simeon. May we pray with all these things that we have his character, his confidence, his chorus, and finally that we have his confession. If we do that, we'll be ready for the second coming of Christ as best we can. We pray with me as we close. Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we come on a very different time and day for, for our church, but Father, we